As we come to consider God's word, let's bow our heads in prayer. We thank you for the freedom we have to gather together here today. We thank you for preserving your word for us so that we can read it in our own language. We thank you for all those who have laboured and sacrificed to bring us our copy of your instructions and teaching. We ask now that you will be our teacher, that you will help us to understand and apply the truth of what you are saying to us today. We rejoice in the fact that you have not left us to our own devices, but has given us your Holy Spirit to convict us of what is true. We come now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 19. In verses 1 to 6, uh, we read about God's character being revealed in creation all around us. Theologians call this natural revelation. Some call it the first book of God. And uh, some of you may just remember that I did uh, preach on those verses the last time I was speaking to you. Some of you may not remember that. (laughs) Psalm 19 is an interesting psalm. In those first verses we hear that creation shouts out uh, like an unwritten message to mankind that God does exist. The sky, the clouds, the sun, sunrises, sunsets all reveal the clear testimony of the existence of God as our creator. But in verses 7 to 11, which we're considering today, we see what the theologians call special revelation. That is what the Bible says to us about God. Of course, the Bible is a much more reliable source of information about God than creation, because we can misread what we see around about us and can not acknowledge that God has done it. One of the things I love about um, getting out in the country and uh, recently when we went up to Trunky Creek for a week or so there'd been a a shower came through very cold morning we had frost on the windscreens and the ground and uh, so a bit of hail I think it hailed three times while we were there and so but once that all passed over the sky was a, a stronger deeper blue than normal and it's just incredible to look up no clouds the clouds came in later but uh, it just reveals the wonder of God. But people cannot acknowledge that. They can just say what a beautiful day it is without saying this is a day which the Lord has made. But in verses 7 to 11, uh, we get uh, teaching about God and his word, about the importance of God's word, who God is, what he is like, and how and when we should respond to him, in what way we should respond. So God's glory is seen in his word, verses 7 to 11. Uh, Richard has already read this passage to us this morning but what I want us to do is just work through uh, these verses, verses 7 to 14 eventually but initially verses 7 to 11 and see uh, what it teaches us about God and his word. There's an unbreakable link between God's word and God himself. There's an unbreakable link between the Holy Spirit and God's word. But so often we think, hear things coming in that aren't from the Bible So let's see what these verses teach us about God and his word. Verse 7 teaches us four things about God. So if if I lose track, tell me if I miss one because I'm not very good at counting. So firstly, God's word, the Bible, is perfect. That's what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect. God's word is perfect. Why? Because God is perfect. So there's this direct link between God and his word. The word perfect means complete comprehensive and sufficient. 
Just as God is without error, so his word, the Bible, is without error in its original manuscripts. God's word contains all we need to know about God. It is sufficient. We need to get our understanding about God from the Bible, not from what men say about God. It's the authority, not what people say. Do you believe that God's word is perfect? Secondly, God's word revives. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The word revise speaks of restoration, refreshment, total transformation. The word soul speaks of the inner person, the real you, which is hidden from view, hidden from others. God's word has the power to revive our soul when we are weary, tired and depressed. It's an amazing aspect of God's word. The God of the Bible is a God who can also renew our strength when we are worn out from hard work, sickness and trials. So often we say, I'm too tired, too tired to read my Bible, too tired to come to church. But that's when we really do need to read the Bible and to come to church, when we're tired, when we need our spirit to be uh, revived and restored. Do you discipline yourself to read your Bible when you're tired and discouraged? It's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Uh, I remember in my early days, um, I'm not a morning person, so I generally have my quiet time at night. Uh, in those early days in particular and the number of times when I come home from a night out with the youth group and uh, kneel down uh, next to my bed to read my Bible and wake up an hour and a half later still <laughs> kneeling there. Um, so it's probably not the best time uh, when it's the middle of the night but it's good for us to acknowledge God and to be revived by his word. Do you discipline yourself to read your Bible when you're tired and discouraged? It's important you do that. Uh, when things are going wrong, that's the time we most need to be revived by God's word. Thirdly, God's word is trustworthy. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The word statutes is just another word for commands or instructions, doctrine or teaching. We can trust what the Bible says because it is the word of God and is always trustworthy, dependable and reliable. As followers of Jesus, we too need to prove ourselves to be people that others can trust on and rely on. It goes together, doesn't it? Uh, We are people who believe in the grace of God. We should be graceful people. We should be trustworthy and reliable people. Have you put your trust in the absolute truth of God's word? Have you put your trust in the God of the Bible? Fourthly, God's word makes the simple wise. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. We may not be very wise in the world's eyes, but we can become very wise in God's eyes by spending lots of time reading and applying the word of God. Are you a simple person? We read and study God's word. As we do that, we grow in wisdom and knowledge. The word wise means skillful, experienced, having ability. doesn't necessarily mean you've got a high IQ. You can be a simple person but still be skillful experienced and have ability based on experience we learn so much about God with the help of the Holy Spirit through the word of God you too can become wise but you need to be reading and studying and meditating on God's word are you regularly doing that it's good to be part of a Bible study a regular Bible study to get that wisdom from God verse 8 teaches us three things about God firstly God's word is right 
the precepts, precepts of the Lord are right. This, this statement is a reminder of what we read or what we read in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. God's word is right. It is correct. It is true. It shows us the right way to live. Because God is true, correct and right, so is, so is his word, the Bible. Therefore, we can trust what God says. Logical, isn't it? Do you trust the Bible? Do you trust God? The two go together. Are you living according to the precepts or the commands of God? Secondly, in verse 8, God's word brings joy to the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The word precepts is just another word for commands or for the word of God. Does your heart rejoice in the truths and promises of God's word? Most people experience joy from time to time, but such joy usually fades away. True and lasting joy only comes from God and his word. This joy may not be visible outwardly, but is expressed inwardly by contentment in our circumstances and submission to the will of God. It's a joy that even war and disaster and death can't take away. Thirdly, God's word gives light. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The word radiant speaks of glory, of light, of brightness and splendour. God is radiant, God is light. And of course Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The light given by God's word gives us guidance, shows us where to go, how to live a life that is pleasing to God. We need the light of God's word to show us how we are to live and how we can glorify God. You might remember Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's talking about a, a very ancient form of light. This next slide should bring up the, the oil lamp. One of the things that uh, previous preachers have told us about this form of light. I've got a torch. I always carry a torch uh, on my belt because I'm often working when it gets dark. But in those days, and my torch is pretty good, it's only a little one, I'll show you. So I learned to carry this in Myanmar because the power goes off all the time. So you've got quite a bright light. It's only one AAA battery. But these lights only showed about maybe two metres out in front of you, maybe less. And you held it in your hand like that or the little handle at the end. And it's just sort of oil wick that works. So when we say God's word is a lamp unto our feet, that's what it means. We don't always know what's way ahead, but we know what's just ahead. And we worry too much about what's out there and we're likely to trip over because we're not watching where we need to be watching uh, as you're wandering along through life's journey. So God's light gives us light for the next few steps and we should not worry about tomorrow as Jesus taught us. Are you, working, are you walking in the light of God's word? Let's go to verse 9. Verse 9 teaches us four things about God. Firstly, the fear of God purifies. The fear of the Lord is pure. The word fear speaks of reverence, awe, worship, respect and honour of God. The fear of God is pure or holy. It, it has a purifying effect in our lives and conduct. People who have no fear of God, that he is holy and a just judge, just judge, are liable to commit all sorts of evil deeds just as we see throughout history and even our current time today. The fear of God causes us to live a pure and a holy life. So just 
Turned the wrong page over. So it's one one five. Okay. God's people should be characterised by their reverent obedience, respect, and love for God. That should be a characteristic of our lives. Do you honour God by how you live? Secondly, the fear of God endures forever. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. True believers will always have a healthy fear of God all the days of their lives. To see someone who claims to be a believer but has no fear of God indicates that their faith is not genuine saving faith. People who say, now I'm saved, I can do as I please and sin as much as I want, show that they're not born again at all. Do you honour and reverence God in the way that you live? Thirdly, God's word is sure or reliable. The ordinance of the law of the Lord are sure. The word ordinances is sipped again, another word that talks about the word of God. The word sure means something which is reliable, trustworthy and true. We've already seen that as well. Just as a house and other buildings need a sure and trustworthy foundation, so do we. Our foundation is God's word. God has given us just what we need in preserving his word for us in the Bible. Not only is God's word sure, reliable and trustworthy, he himself is also worthy of our trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust his word? Fourthly, God's word is altogether righteous. It says, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. We saw this concept back in verse 8 as well, where it says the precepts of the Lord are right. Here the emphasis is on the holiness and the purity of God and his word. What God says in his word is altogether righteous, holy, true and correct. This is why the Bible is called the Holy Bible because God is holy, so his word is holy. Even if the copy of your word of God is old and ragged as we see in the picture when it comes up on the next slide, um, it's still holy. Sometimes we uh, misinterpret what that holy means and some people won't put their Bible on the ground because it's, it's a holy Bible. You're missing the whole point. It's message. It's content is holy because God is holy. Do you believe the Bible is holy, true and correct? It takes us to verse 10. It teaches us two things about God and his word. Firstly, God's word is more precious than gold. It says they are more precious than gold than much pure gold. Gold is a very valuable uh, asset at the moment. If you've got gold, you're better off having that than US dollars at the moment. It's uh, fluctuating around $3,000 US an ounce. It's enough to make you want to sell your wedding room, isn't it? To get some some extra cash. So uh, when we were out um, hunting last week uh, in the bush, week before, uh, we walked down the creek bed for quite quite a while hunting. All we saw was one kangaroo and one lizard the guys who went the other way, they saw herds of deer and lots of goats and all that kind of stuff. So I think they sent us that way because they knew the game was this way. But uh, we went along this creek bed and, of course, we're watching as we're walking along and right at the end near the neighbour's property, there's a, a creek comes down the hill and it uh, flows over a big wall of rock. So when there's a lot of rain, it would be like a waterfall. And as you come into the edge of the rock, there's a crevice down in there. So we uh, spent a little bit of time going through the uh, all the rocks and weighing them. <laughs> There's no water so you couldn't sort of slosh it out. But 
because I'm here you can tell we didn't find much gold. <laughs> Otherwise I'd be at Trunky Creek, which is a gold rush area from history, if you know. So God's word, the psalmist says, is like gold, not just a little bit. Look at the, well, you're looking that way, the picture of the, that's a lot of, I forget what, the, I didn't know once what those gold bars weigh, but one ounce, $3,000. How precious is God's word to you? Um, Jesus said in Matthew 16:26, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you really believe that God's word is of more value than much fine gold? Secondly, God's word is sweeter than honey. It says they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Fresh honey is beautiful to eat. It's extremely good for your health. Honey is 99.9% pure. It is so pure that bacteria cannot live in honey. They recently found honey in one of the pyramids. Now, two, three thousand years old and it was still pure and still edible. It had crystallised, but you just put in a bit of hot water and it comes back to health again. Honey is good for healing wounds, infected sores like ulcers. It also fixes upset tummies and even stops food poisoning, travel sickness and diarrhoea. Did you know that? Well, if you know me, you know that um, I'm, I have honey every day. Uh, I have Manuka honey, the Australian version, not the New Zealand version. It's a lot cheaper, but it's very good for you. I remember when June Murray, some of you remember June Murray, had terrible ulcer on her leg and uh, they kept giving her antibiotics and treatment and the doctor ended up saying to her, get some Manuka honey and put on it. Healed up straight away. God's word is like pure honey. It's very, very, very good for you. So although honey can be uh, too sweet, you can have too much of it. If you suffer from uh, travel sickness, car sickness, have a spoonful of honey before you go. On the last time Jim Wenman came with us uh, to Myanmar, we travelled up into the hills, uh, the mountains really, 6,000 feet up and the, the roads are going like this up and down. And everybody in the car was getting car sick. Guess what? Gave him some honey. Fixed. So then everybody else said, can we have some honey? So it's good stuff. So remember that. But so is God's word. It's good for us. It's pure. It can heal us. Faith in God is better for you than even honey. That's what it's saying. Why? Because it can guarantee your place in heaven. Do you believe the Bible is sweeter and better for you than honey? Verse 11 teaches us two things about God. Firstly, God's word brings warning to his servants. By them your servant is warned. It is a wise person who reads the Bible. It is even wiser not only to read it, but to heed it in its many warnings. Many dangers, sins and trouble can be avoided by simply obeying what God says. Pretty simple logic, isn't it? Do you strive to obey God's word? Are you seeking God with all your heart? Are you hiding God's word in your heart? Uh, if it's hidden there, then it can keep you from doing things which the Bible warns you not to do. Secondly, God's word will bring great reward. It says in keeping them there is great reward. Do you believe that? As we obey God's instructions, we will be rewarded, both in this life and even more so in the life to come. God's word, the Bible is rewarding. It brings us benefits just as God brings us rewards as well. Let's look now at verses 12 to 14. 
God's glory seen in response in the response of God's people. Verse 12 teaches us two things about God. Firstly, knowing God's word brings conviction of sin or errors. Who can discern his errors, it says. Most of us have some difficulty in seeing our own faults. When it comes to our own errors, we tend to blame others for our circumstances. Reading and studying God's word gives opportunity for the Holy Spirit to apply God's truth and to convict us of our sin. That's what he does. He shows us our errors. When we are convicted of some sin in our lives, we need to make sure that we respond to that conviction with confession, repentance and faith. Secondly, knowing God's word causes confession of hidden sin and forgiveness. That's what I just said, wasn't it? It says, forgive my hidden faults. Our response to the conviction of sin should be to repent and ask for forgiveness. Our faults may be hidden from others, but the God of the Bible knows all things. Are you trying to hide some hidden sin in your life? Do you need to confess that and repent? Do you need to ask for God's forgiveness? Verse 13 teaches us three things about God. Firstly, knowing God's word can keep us from willfully sinning. It says, verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. What's a willful sin? A willful sin is when we know that what we're about to do is wrong, but we choose to do it anyway. You wouldn't do that, would you? No, no, of course not. No, we do it all the time, don't we? If we know God's word and we obey God's word, it can keep us from those willful sins. We can sometimes call it a deliberate sin. It's a wrong and rebellious act of defiance against the known will of God. Do you need to repent and ask for forgiveness for willfully disobeying what God says? Secondly, knowing God's word helps us not to be ruled over by sin or dominated by sin. Verse 13 says, Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. We see that in our world today, don't we? People ruled over by sin. We should not be ruled as Christians or controlled by sin and temptation, but by Jesus, our Lord. The key word here is rule. As we all sin from time to time, that that is very different to living a life controlled by sin. There's a big difference there. We're not perfect, but we shouldn't be under the control of sin. A person who claims to be a believer but is ruled by various sins indicates that they are not born again and so have not been set free from sin. It indicates, doesn't guarantee, but points in that direction. Do you need to ask for God's help to resist sinning willfully? Thirdly, knowing God's word can make us blameless. That means holy and innocent. It says, then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Once we have truly confessed our sin, repented and been forgiven, we are declared blameless. That's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? don't hear it much today. But it's a wonderful word. For us imperfect people to be declared blameless is an amazing thing. We may not be perfect. Our, transgression may, our transgressions may have been great, but we are declared innocent by God because Jesus suffered and died for our transgression. It's good news, isn't it? No wonder God's word is good for us. Are you blameless? Are you innocent? Are you forgiven? If the answer to that question is no, then you need to put your trust in Jesus so you can be declared blameless. Verse 14, 
teaches us two things about God. Firstly, our words and our thinking can please and glorify God. It says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. The word meditation means to think carefully and apply what we learn to how we live day by day. As we read and study and apply God's word to our conduct, our words and thinking become more and more pleasing in God's sight. This should be our goal, our prayer, our daily practice. Every true believer is focused on pleasing the Lord, our Lord. Is your goal in life to please God? Second, God is our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here's a, a picture of uh, Ayers Rock. It's a pretty big rock. There's a very good-looking Sheila standing next to a, a pretty ordinary-looking guy. It took us uh, four hours, Naomi and I, to walk around uh, Ayers Rock, Uluru. It's a big rock. And if you go up and bang it with your fist, you'll hurt yourself. It's very hard, very solid. So a rock speaks of something which is unmovable, like a foundation. This rock is a picture, uh, I've already told you that, um, it's a picture of a very big and very strong rock. The God of the Bible is a God we can trust and rely on every day. He is stronger. He is a rock. He does not change. The word redeemer speaks of one who buys back a person who's been sold into slavery. God has done this for you and for me. We were slaves of sin, but we now can become slaves of the Lord Jesus. Are you a slave of sin or a slave of Jesus? Another way of asking that question is to say, are you born again? Have you submitted your life to the Lord? Is God your solid foundation rock? Have you been redeemed back from your life of sin? So how should we respond to all this? Well, it tells us in verse 14, doesn't it? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and our redeemer. Our words, what we say, should show our faith in God. Our thoughts, our thinking or meditation should show our faith in the same God. Our speaking and thinking should be pleasing to God. Does the God revealed in creation and in scripture affect the way you live day by day? When we fail, we need to confess our sin, repent and ask for forgiveness. We need to often look up at the stars and worship the God of the Bible. Let me pray. We rejoice, Heavenly Father, in the rock that you are for us, in the rock that your word is to us in our fallen and hurting world. We thank you for giving us your perfect law that revives our hearts and our minds. We thank you for your word that it uh, makes us simple folks wise by giving us life, uh, giving us light on how we can live, how we should think. We thank you for the joy that comes in our hearts and lives as we meditate on your word. We ask that you help us by your Holy Spirit to conform our thinking and our speaking to the truths of your word. Please change our hearts so that we may fear and reverence you as we are commanded. May our lives and witness draw others to follow the Lord Jesus. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.